we had a missionary come in, and forgive me because I don't remember his name. I think it was Daniels, McDaniels, um, came in from Puerto Rico, and he gave us a charge. Um, and uh, there was three, three. He had four points. I remember three of them, and they stuck in my head. And one of them was that we were to be inconvenienced. One of them was that we were to be inter- to intercede, and one of them was that we were to identify. And all of this was talking about the Christian life and our charge and how we were supposed to live as Christians. And Breck then got up and preached a message about serious business and how the, the business or the, the call to Christian life is a serious thing. We're supposed to take it seriously. Brother Justin got up and exhorted us to pray for one another and to, to intercede and, and to, to go to God. And there's a common theme here that is kind of being tied together, and that is we need to get our lives right with God. Understand that what we're doing here is serious business, and, and it, be willing to inconvenience ourselves for the cause of Christ. Be willing to intercede for one another, for our country, for all the things around us that we see that are going wrong. We need to be willing to get on our face before God and to intercede for what is needed. And that is a re- revival in our country. That, a revival in our churches, not just our country, because our country is one thing. And our country used to be a Christian country. It's, it's very shameful to say that I don't know that we can call ourselves that anymore. If, as I look around at what's going on in the world around us, to call us a Christian country, it would be a disgrace to God and a disgrace to the name of Christ. So I don't know if we can call, but we need a revival. And that revival is going to start in the house of God. It is not going to start out there in our country. It's not going to start because somebody, uh, I think Brother Justin was saying this morning, you know, that we're fighting for our Second Amendment rights and for our, you know, our article, you know, our, uh, our Bill of Rights. And you know, we're standing up and fighting for those. That's not what's going to turn our country around. The Word of God is what's going to turn our country around. And we need to get back to that. We need to get back as Christians and realize that it's our responsibility to go out into the world and to share the gospel. And, and we, need to, we need the revival, not just nationally, not just even in our churches, but personally. It's going to start in our own hearts. It's going to start in each and every one of you. We can't look to the next person and say, well, if you would get right, then we'd be all in good shape, right? Because that's what we're doing a lot of times as Christians and as a church. We're looking to the world around us and say, man, if we'd just get right, man, we'd be in good shape. What about us? Let's turn around and look at us. Because we are the responsibility. We are who God has left on the earth as salt and light. Are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? Are we praying for one another? Are, do, we, do we live the Christian life as seriously as we're supposed to be living it? Um, those, again, just noticing how all those messages have been tying together. And um, I, I've got another point in here a little bit later on how even the pastor's message is on uh, Ephesians and going through the armor of God. Um, all kind of ties into this. But I wanted to, to question this. I have a question. That I guess the, the title to my sermon is a question. Where do we go from here? We've heard the charge. We've heard the exhortation to do something, to live the Christian life in such a way that is representative of what Christ wanted it to be. Um, so now what? What do we do? What happens if we do start to live that life like we're supposed to or if we don't? There is consequences. I believe and it's pretty obvious that our church is that not just our church specifically, excuse me, but the church as a whole um, in the world is at a crossroads. We're either going to repent and turn back to God and do what we're supposed to do, or we're not going to. And there's consequences for both actions. One can bring peace, the, 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 the living in peace and godliness that Brother Justin had talked about in his text this morning. Uh, that, that goes in one direction. The other direction is a very fearful thing. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And we, as Christians, 
understand or should understand that better because we have his word. We have the warnings. We have what he says, and, and we have examples of what happened when people in the past did not heed those warnings and when they turned from God and refused to turn back to God. So we have a higher responsibility than anybody around us that doesn't know the scriptures to turn back or we know the consequences. Um, I want to go ahead and start with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, Lord, I do pray that you would speak through me, Father. I pray that you would hide me behind your cross, Lord. I pray that you would, Father, just help me to speak the words that you would have spoken, Lord, and help people to be attentive, Lord, not to me or to my voice, but, Father, to your voice, to your leading. Help help uh, me, Father, to speak to my heart as well, Lord. I need this just as much as anybody else does, Lord. And I thank you, Father, that you've given me a message to, to deliver. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me to do that. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I do want to say thank you to the pastor for giving me the opportunity to, to stand up here in the pulpit. I take this as no light responsibility. Um, I enjoy preaching. Um, I didn't ever think... You, if you would have known me when I was younger, you would have never thought that. You would have never thought that man is not going to turn out to anything. That young man, is he's hopeless. You would have never thought that I would, I would never thought that I would be standing up here and preaching the word of God. And I'm thankful that God saw fit to reach down and to pick me up from where I was and to, to say, hey, I still love you. I still care about you. Turn back to me and come back. And that's kind of what we're going to start to talk about here. We're going to talk about those two options that we have. We can either repent and return or we can be destroyed. That's what our two options are. Um, tonight, I want to look down those paths for a minute and just to, to kind of see the, the two options that we have so that we can then make an informed decision. Um, whenever you're going on a trip, a lot of times, I know I do, and I would assume a lot of the men do um, in here, when you're getting ready to take your family on a trip, you look at the map, right? And you say, okay, I need to fi- figure out which direction we're going. And so I know if I go this way, we're going to run into traffic and Okay, I'm just going to take my, my personal family trip. I'm not going on that highway because we'll go through Chicago, and it'll be this time, and it'll be, inter- it'll be uh, traffic, right? Or I'm not going to go this way, or I want to go this way because there's something I want to see there. So we, we look at our map, we look down the road, and we say, this is the choice that I'm going to make because this is what best fits my plans, right? Well, now we're going to look at the map. We're going to look down the road just a little bit, and we're going to see where these two choices lead because God has left in his word a perfectly clear map, a perfectly cu- clear um, his word is perfectly clear in the instructions that it gives and in the um, consequences to those actions that we take. So first off, I want to look at repentance. So there's like again, like I said, there's two different directions we can go, and one of them is repentance, and the other one is is, uh, is destruction. So repentance. Um, let's turn to Revelation chapter two, and I want to look at what God has said to some churches in the book of Revelation. These churches, all but two, or yes, all but two, so five out of the two, or five out of the seven churches were addressed and were told something very similar. All five of them. So we're going to look at all of those real quick. First one is in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5. He's talking to the church of Ephesus. He said, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now go down to verse 16. Now he's talking to the church at Pergamos. It says, Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Um, Go to chapter 2, verse 21 and 22. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and then they commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Uh, Chapter 3 now, in verse 3. 
Remember, therefore, how thou, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast, and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Um, and then finally, in verse 19 of the same chapter, chapter 3, he's talking to the church of Laodicea, finally. And he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now, who was God talking to in these things? Who was John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing about to hear? Was he talking about a nation? Was he talking about the heathen around? Was he talking about, who was he talking to? He was talking to churches. So now we need to look, because we're a church, and we need to look and find out where did these people go wrong, and, and what did God call them to do? Again, out of the seven churches that were addressed here in this, in this first two chapters, or the, excuse me, chapter two and three of Revelation, they were told to repent. They were told to turn away from something. And all of them were. I wanted to look a little bit at the, uh, uh, at the definition of repentance for a minute. Webster's 1828 Dictionary, uh, Brother DeGarmo referenced it this morning, and I, I love looking in that dictionary because it has a lot of scripture in it. He uses the word of God to define things, and, and that's a blessing to me. Um, so I, I looked in there, and this is going to be a little bit lengthy. There's, there's five different definitions, and um, so I'm going to look at it here. The first definition was of repent now is to feel pain, sorrow, or regret for something done or spoken. The example was to repent that we have lost much time in idleness or sensual pleasure. Number two, to express sorrow for something past. Number three, to change the mind in consequence of the inconvenience or injury done by past conduct. Now, number four applies to God when he's talking about it repented him that he made man in Genesis and so on. So I'm not going to go into that because that's not speaking to us. That's, a, that's God. I mean, it's speaking to us, but that's, that has to do with God. But I'm talking about our repentance, not, not, something, not a decision that he's making. Um, so verse, or excuse me, the, the fifth one here, in theology, to sorrow or to be pained for sin as a violation to God's holy law, a dishonor to his character and government, and the foulest ingratitude to a being of infinite benevolence. Now there's a lot of big words in there, but I'm telling you what, that's beautiful. If you can break that down and you understand what those words are and you understand what they mean, what they mean you can really get an idea of what we need to do. If we're called to repent, then it's not just something that we need to take lightly. We need to take nonchalantly and just say, okay, yeah, I need to repent. I'm sorry for my sins. Dear God, bless me now and, and you know, carry on about your day. That's not what repentance is. We have lost, as a church, have lost our effectiveness in the world around us, and it's plainly evident by the direction that the world is headed in right now. Plainly evidenced in that. And so what do we need to do to, to regain it? We have to go back. Every one of those things is, is talking about going for, to something past, right? Going back to the past and being sorrowful or having regret for something that was done in the past. And this last one here, again, as a violation to God's holy law, a dishonor to his character and government, now, think, stop, stop there and think about that. As Christians, have we violated God's holy law? As Christians, have we been a dishonor to his character and to how he wanted to set up his church as a government? How, how he wanted to, to, how we, he, excuse me, the responsibilities that he left to us, have we brought dishonor to him? Have we done what he called us to do? What he's called us to do? Have we continued on and carried on with the mission that he's left us to do? If not, then what is our responsibility at that point? To cry out in repentance, to get in our face in front of God, to humble ourselves and to say, Lord, 
It's my fault that we're where we are. It's not your fault. It's not the world's fault. It's not everybody else. Because as, as a young person especially, I've kind of grown a little bit, but I still have a tendency to do that. I like to look to other people to, to see where the problem is. I don't like to look at myself. I don't like to look at myself and say, well, man, you're, you're really messing this up. You've made a mistake here. My pride gets in my way still. But as, and as a younger person, I really dealt with that a lot. It was mom and dad's fault I had made the choices that I made. It was the pastor's fault, or it was the youth pastor's fault, or it was this person. It was always somebody else. <laughs> but as I grew up, I came to realize, and God got a hold of my heart when I was sitting in a jail cell, and he said, it's not anybody else, it's you. And that's what we need to do as a church. We need to understand that we're at the point that we're at because we have been lacking in those things that these pastors and these preachers have been preaching about from our pulpit in the past couple of weeks. We've been lacking in those things. We have not been willing to inconvenience ourselves for the cause of Christ. Uh, the other day, our air conditioners broke, right? It was really uncomfortable in here on Wednesday. It was hot, right? Okay. So we get a, one of the guys that, where I work, I'm an electrician, and we're a sister company to a heating and air company. And so I went to one of my partners. I said, hey, we're having a heating and air problem at church. Can you come out and take a look at him, give us an estimate and, and whatever? And so they did that. And I was talking to him about it, and I was like, he was like, well, I'm assuming you want to get it done quickly. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I mean, it would be nice to have it done by Wednesday, because he came on, I think it was Friday or Thursday or Friday. He's like, I can't get to it this week, but I'll try to get to at least one of them next week. And he said, so you have church Wednesday night? I was like, yeah, we have church on Wednesday night. And, uh, and I was like, well, this past Wednesday was miserable. It was hot in there. And he, he looks at me, and he's, you know, we're goofing off with each other. He goes, oh, wah. I remember back when I was, he did. Because I remember back when I was a young man, and I'd go to church, and I'd dress in a three-piece suit, and I'd sit there on the pew, and it was hot. And we didn't have air conditioning, and you open up the windows, and the breeze coming through the windows was hot, too. You know, he was, he, and, and so I got to thinking about that. I'm like, you know what? This man, he, uh, he, he grew up in church. He's, he's since turned away. Um, he doesn't attend church that I know of anywhere. And, and, um, but, but he remembers those things. And he remembers that even as a young person, he was inconvenienced. It was inconvenient to come and sit in here and to sweat it out, right? But nowadays, we get to where we still had an air conditioner on in here, but not all of them were working. And it was hot in here. And I know I was one of those people who was like, man, I need to find the right spot in here so that I can get just the right amount of breeze so I can survive, right? Survive? What are we talking about here? Again, I'm just trying to point out that, yeah, we laugh about that a little bit, but that's a serious thing. There's people who would not come here if they thought that it was going to be hot again. There's people who will not inconvenience themselves for the cause of Christ. I know that when I'm out in public occasionally, the Lord will speak to me. Hey, go give that person a track. Well, then I'll have to get out of my car, and I'll have to go walk all the way over there, and I'm really busy, and I don't really have time for this, and, and I'm not willing to stop what I'm doing and to inconvenience myself to even be a witness. That's, that's, a, uh, that's a pretty serious thing, and that's something that I need to repent of personally that I'm not willing to inconvenience myself. There's times in my prayer life, to go on to the next point of being intercessory, there's times in my prayer life where I get lazy. I get lackadaisical. Well, you know what? I, I kind of woke up a little bit late, and I got to get to work, so I'm just going to breeze through this prayer list. I'll just, I'll just give it a general prayer, and we'll go on with my day, right? And then I'll, I'll get to it later. Well, then by the time I get home from work, things get busy, my family's around, and I'm trying to take care of the family and, and spend some time with them, and my prayer life for that day has lacked. And my prayer life is not what it should be. And then it's easier the first time you miss it, right? The next time comes up, well, it's not that big of a deal, right? 
it, it, you know, the world didn't end. The world didn't blow up on me. I'm still good. We're good. I don't really need to pray today. We'll be, it'll be okay. I'll, I'll just get to it later. And then and we keep skipping, and we keep skipping. And so we've gotten to a point where three weeks down the road, somebody preaches a message, and we're like, wow, you know what? I haven't prayed in three weeks. And that's something that we need to repent of. Not something that we need to just gloss over and say, okay, I'll just get it next week or I'll fix this problem. No, we need to go and fall before our faces to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Because he's called us to do those things. What Brother DeGarmo said this morning was on point. That was an exhortation. That was stronger than just a suggestion. It was a command. It's a command that we pray for one another. It's a command that we pray for things to change if we want them to change. And and we don't do it. We, we just kind of, again, we just gloss it over. And so why then do we think that we don't need to repent from those things? Why then do we get this lackadaisical Christianity, this attitude of, it's not a big deal, God will forgive me, I'm still going to heaven, right? I'm still on my way to heaven, there's once saved, always saved, I don't really, I mean, I'm good, I'm still going to get there. <laughs> what kind of attitude is that? What did God do for us? He sent his son to the cross to die for something he did nothing to, to deserve, we did it. He sent his son in our place, and yet we, we, just, we just gloss it over. It's not a big deal. It's cool. It's, you know, I'm still going to heaven. What did it cost him? What did it cost him? What does it cost us? It doesn't cost us anything. It's a free gift, but it cost him everything. It cost him his Godhead. He had to take, take his, set aside his position as God and humble himself and become a servant. And, and so it cost him a lot to be able to provide what we don't deserve. And, but then again, we just, we, just, we just say, okay, well, that Christian life thing, it's good, and, and I'll pick it up every once in a while, and, and I'll get back to it here whenever it's convenient, excuse me, convenient for me. And Natasha said, do you ever drink water up there? And I said, no, I don't ever drink water up there, but my mouth is dry, excuse me. Um, so, again, in, in looking at repentance, we need to take it seriously. If we really want revival, which I've heard, over and over again, we need revival. We want revival. We want to see revival. Where does that start? It starts with repentance. It doesn't start just because we're praying for revival. God wants to know how serious you are. And if you're not even serious enough to go back to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry that I sinned. I'm sorry that I neglected what you commanded me to do. I'm sorry that, that I've set aside or I put myself of more importance and my own personal life of more importance than what you sent your son to die for. If we don't start there, why is he going to send revival? He's not going to because he knows in our heart that we're not serious enough to do what it takes to get revival. That is a commandment just as much as anything else. Every one of these charges to the churches, it wasn't a please repent it wasn't a, uh, you know, maybe you could repent, maybe you should. No, it was a direct statement. Repent. Repent and turn back. Repent and return. Repent and remember. That's kind of the next thing we're going to look at. But let's, uh, let's go on here a little bit more about repentance. What do we need to repent of? Um, individually, whatever the Lord is dealing with you about right now. I know when I'm sitting in the, in the congregation and I'm hearing the pastor preach or a preacher preach, and he says something, and it convicts my heart. It's because the Lord is speaking to me. So if I say that we need, you need, to repent about something, you already know what that is right now. Because as a Christian, as long as you haven't dulled your senses with the world enough that to not even hear his voice anymore, as long as you're not that far backslidden, and that is a thing, 
as long as you're not that far backslidden, you know right now what you have in your life that you're holding on to. The sin that you're holding on to, the, the thing that you've neglected, whatever that is, you know what that is right now. And so now, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to repent and turn away from it? Or are you just going to keep on going? You keep on living. You're going to hold on to that sin. Are you going to hold on to that little thing that you're neglecting, that duty that you're neglecting? Are you going to hold on to the convenience or, or, or not being inconvenienced for the name of Christ? Uh, you know, one of the other things there was the identify. It was uh, inconvenience yourself, intercede, and identify. Are you going to identify as a Christian to those people around you at work? No matter what it costs you, if it costs you your job, if it costs you your position, if it costs you that next pay raise, if it costs you something, are you still willing to identify? And if not, then what are we called to do? Repent. Amen. To say, Lord, I'm sorry that I didn't identify with you when I should have. When it came around and we were having that discussion at work, around the water cooler, whatever, and, and I could have stood up and I could have witnessed or I could have identified myself as a Christian, as a believer, and said, hey, I don't want to listen to that or I don't want to hear that. I don't want to talk about that. Did we? And if not, then what's the next step? Repentance. You need to turn back. You need to repent and realize that what you just did. Realize that when you're, when, what, is the, what does the scripture say? If we're ashamed of him, he's going to be ashamed of us, right? Realize that that's what we're facing. How many of us in here would raise our hand right now and say, I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, when you, when you hit heaven, when you, when you get to heaven? Every one of us should, want, should desire that. But when he called you to stand up and identify with him, were you willing to do that? I'm not saying that every time, that when we make a mistake, God's sitting there. I, I talked to my wife about this, a little bit of a funny thing, but like a whack-a-mole. You make a mistake, and he's just looking to, to smack you right back down, right? No, there's a reason that he calls you to repent, because he wants you to get right. He wants to right that relationship with you. He wants you to be effective for him. He wants us to, to, to be the, what he's called us to be. He's not sitting there just looking to destroy us every time we make a mistake. He wants us to turn back and to repent. Um, but it's up to us. It's an action that we alone can make. God can... Bring about things in your life that are uncomfortable to, to make you realize that you're in sin. To make you understand that, hey, I'm going in the wrong direction. He can have you lose that job. Have you get in a car wreck and lose your vehicle. Have you, you know, so many things that he can affect a change in our life to get our attention. But that doesn't, that doesn't cause us to repent. That's something that we still have to do. We still have to understand that the Lord is trying to speak to me, and now it's my decision to do something with those words that he's trying to say. With that thing that he's trying to get a hold of, it's my responsibility now to do something about it. Because he's not going to force himself on you. He is not going to, to sit there and beat you until you, you make the right decision. Yes, he will speak to you. He will then get a little bit stronger and maybe send some correction. But you know what? Eventually he's going to say, fine. Go ahead, see where it takes you. And he's going to let that sin that you're holding on to destroy you. Or he's going to let that sin or that neglect that you've done destroy one of your family members. You're going to watch one of your children stray away from God because you chose to, to um, neglect family prayer. You chose to neglect family devotion. Whatever those th the thing is, he's going to allow it to affect maybe not even you. You know, um, I was talking with somebody uh, a little while back and... Uh, um, we were talking about Hezekiah, 
and how he prayed to the Lord and he added, added years to his life and how that was a good thing and, and so on and so forth. But did you know that God told Hezekiah through the prophet, and I don't remember the prophet's name, forgive me, but he told him that Israel was getting ready, his son was getting ready to be dethroned. He was going to lose the throne. He was going to be taken captive and so on and so forth. And all of this, this judgment was getting ready to come to the nation of Israel, but it wasn't going to happen while Hezekiah was the king. You know what Hezekiah said? As long as it doesn't happen when I'm here. That's what he said. How many of us have that same attitude? Our country is in bad shape. But you know, there's myself, I'm, I'm still 41 years old. I'm still a young man. But there's still, there, there's things that my, my children are going to, to face that I'm not going to have to face. Because I'm going to be old and I'm going to die eventually. But, but they're going to still be alive. Well, as long as it doesn't happen when I'm alive, right? As long as I don't have to face that beheading, that persecution, that imprisonment, those things that, that so many martyrs that have gone before us, you know, being burned at the stake and all of those things that, that they've gone on, that the, those who have gone on before us have already faced, we get this attitude of, well, as long as it doesn't happen to me, I'm cool. We need to prepare ourselves and our children. And the, again, what that points us back to, again, it all points us back to repentance. It all points us back to we need to get ourselves and our lives right for that generation that was up here singing. Because they're watching you. They're watching us. They're looking at us and they say, well, if they don't take sin seriously enough to repent and turn back from it, then why do I need to do it? And you can see the progression of that from even to this generation, even to my generation, how it changed back in the uh, 1800s when the... uh, uh, textual criticism kind of came about and when they started to print different versions of the scriptures and so on and so forth and that kind of crept in and then, then you got this denomination and this denomination and you started to split off and just and just the, the word of God became not important to people anymore and you can see the, the progression from where we are even um, even in our country you can see there was, a, there was a huge turnaround when we kicked God out of our schools why is that? Because we as adults at the time didn't do what we were supposed to do and fight for that. And, didn't, and, and some of us may have, and I'm not trying to point any fingers, please don't take me the wrong way there. But had they come after guns in the same way, what would we have done? They came after our Savior. They came after prayer. They came after something in a place of utmost importance. The, the devil is not foolish in his actions. He knows what he's doing. And he knows just as well as God knows that the youth is the next generation. And if he can stamp it out in the, in the, in the youth, then he's not going to have to worry about it in the future. He can get rid of it when they're young. Then when they're old, they're not going to remember it because they don't even know it. They don't even know what it means to pray in school. They don't even know what it means to have the Bible taught in class. <laughs> you know, I, I said something about the Webster's Dictionary. That was used as a primer. That was used in schools. And you know what? They were getting scriptures even in their definitions to everyday words that they were using. They were getting the Bible in there. And, and, but we've turned away from that. It's time for us as believers to repent and to, to ask God to forgive us for our lackadaisical attitude. The, the sitting around and being comfortable and not being inconvenienced for him, not doing what we're supposed to do. We've been called to repent. And over and over again, the scripture says repent. Why is that? Why doesn't he just destroy us? Again, I said it earlier, because he wants that relationship to be righted. Because if if his church is doing what it's supposed to be doing, and it is the light that it's supposed to be, 
then, then he can, we can turn the world upside down. I've been reading in Acts and studying with my class in, in Acts, and uh, they said there, the, the, the leadership um, came in, and they said, hey, those that have turned the world upside down are here. Have we even turned our city around, uh, upside down? Can we say that we've turned Rapid City? Can we say that we've turned the north side of Rapid City where our church is upside down? Can we say that we've turned over this neighborhood upside down? Just, just, I mean, just this block that we're in. Have we turned the block upside down? No, why? Because we haven't been about our father's business the way that we should have been. And that's serious. That's something that we need to repent of. We won't even walk across the street over here because it's hot or because it's snowing or because whatever, it's raining or whatever it is, and invite the next door neighbor. Again, I'm not trying to point fingers at one person or another. I'm saying we as a body of believers, we as a church. And it's not just our church. It's churches around. I've I've been to lots of churches around the country, and it's the same thing everywhere. And some of them are going out, and some of them are witnessing in their community, but they're lacking somewhere else. Some of them are lacking in standards. Some of them are doing this and this and this. We've lost our effectiveness because we've lost our importance of who God is and the mission that he's called us to do. Um, so I want to, So individually, we need to repent of, like I said, whatever the Lord is speaking to you. And I've kind of got ahead of myself. But as a church, what are some things? I've, I've done two things here. I've, I've um, written down two things. And one of them, Brother DeGarmo preached this morning. So we're just going to look at the other one right now. The first one is Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. And I just spoke to that. I just, I just spoke about that. Um, but I'm going to read the scripture anyway. Matthew chapter 28. I'm sure everybody is familiar with this, especially once you get there and you see what the verses are. It's not anything that we're not familiar with. We hear it all the time. But again, does it affect a change in our lives? Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 says, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Our church does a lot to outreach our community, to outreach to the world. Um, I, I believe a pastor even said it, that we are, we are very... Um, effective or involved, there we go, we're very involved in reaching the uttermost parts of the world through our press, through the missionaries that we send out, so on and so forth. But have we neglected our Samaria? Have we, have we neglected our Jerusalem? And if so, what, what do we need to do about it? What does that verse say? It says, go ye therefore. It doesn't say, send ye therefore. Now that is a responsibility and we are supposed to send missionaries out. And I believe in that. But it says go. That's an individual command. That is for each one of us to go. That's not for the next person to go. That's not for you to look across there and say, well, they should probably be going. You're right. No, that's for each one of us. That's for every one of us to go. And we're supposed to be going individually, yes. But we should be going as a body as well. We should be going out as a church. I've been involved in churches that have a soul-winning ministry. And some of them have done it the right way, and some of it are the ones that, you know, they you knock on the door, and as long as you can get them to say a prayer, poof, saved, and you never see the person again. So I've seen it done both ways. I've seen it done the right way, and I've seen it done the wrong way. But you know what? They're going. They're, they're, they're going in the gospel. Maybe that person said that prayer and, and didn't mean it or whatever, but they heard the gospel. They heard what they needed to hear, and it may be years down the road before they actually realize and somebody else says something to them, but, but they were spoken to. 
they, their, their house, their door was knocked on and the gospel was presented to them. I've been in, in churches where there's a street ministry, a street preaching ministry, and that's, that's an awesome thing to be a part of. And, but I tell you what, if you do that now, you're going to face resistance. It's going to be inconvenient and uncomfortable for you. It's going to cause people to look at you, to laugh at you, to point, to mock, to throw things even possibly. There's people that are being assaulted in our country right now because of their beliefs, because of preaching Christ. Um, but that doesn't lessen our responsibility. God, God told, tells us that we're going to suffer persecution, that we're going to. So are, are we afraid of it? But why are we afraid of it? Why are we afraid to identify why are we afraid to go out and to spread the gospel? Look at the, the last part of verse 20 there. It says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. God knows what the end of the world is going to look like. He knows how bad it's going to get. But you know what? He said, I'm going to be there if you go. If you go. God's promises are conditional upon our actions and our responses to them. God says, if you do this, then I will do this. Is he going to be with us always? Yes, he is going to be. But you know what? He wants us to take that knowledge and to go with it. To understand that you're going to, again, face persecution. It's not going to be comfortable, but I'm going to be here with you. I'm going to be there and speak with you and speak through you if we allow him to. Um, I wrote here, my note here says, If you can show me anywhere in the scripture that voids or lessens this calling or duty, I would like to see it. I, I've... I've looked because I would like an excuse to sit at my house and veg out on a Saturday instead of going out and doing something, right? Going out and going on visiting a bus route or uh, handing out invitations to come to church or whatever it is or going door to door and knocking on the... I, I've looked for... Of course we want to look for that excuse. Hey, well, if I could find it in the scripture and, and even excuse myself by, you know, maybe even warping it a little bit here and there or, or interpreting it the way that I want to interpret it. Yeah, a lot of us would do that, right? But that's not in there. There's nowhere in there that says sit. There's nowhere in there that says just, just attend church. There's nowhere in there that says you just shine your light in your church pew. It's not in there. We're supposed to be going. And if we're not, then we need to realize the severity of that decision that we've made to not go. And then we need to repent from that because that is a sin. That is direct disobedience to a commandment of God if we are not going. And that's not something that God takes lightly. And it's not something that we should take lightly. How can we pray for revival and ask for revival and ask the Lord to send a revival in our church if we're not even willing to get off of our church pew and do what he tells us to do, do what he's commanded us to do? And if we're not doing that, then we need to repent and we need to return to what we used to do. Because I know that this church used to be heavily involved in, in ministering and in, in witnessing, excuse me, and I'm not saying that we're not now, please don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say, but I know that there's testimonies of people who, Pastor Williams knocked on their door, and they're here in this church and have been here for years now. And, and I, there's testimonies that I've heard of people that are, that are like that. And But what's the latest one? What's the last person that has been to our church because we knocked on their door and invited them to church? Got saved and baptized because we invited them to church. Because one of the membership here specifically got involved in their life. There are examples of it. Yes, there are. But there used to be time in America when our churches were packed. 
because you know what? This person was going out, and this person was going out, and they were going out as a group, and these people were going out as groups. And the word of God was being spread in our country the way that it was intended to be spread. And now, again, we've kind of gotten back into our little shell. We've gotten comfortable. We've got um, the church of Laodicea there um, says we have need of nothing, that we have everything that we need. And God says, you don't even know what you need. You're naked and blind and poor, and you have no idea what you need. But, but they thought they were comfortable. They were good to go, right? God said, you do not know what you, you don't even know what you need. But again, he called them to repent. So our country would not be today, excuse me, let me ask you this question. How, how can you say that we haven't gone? How do we know that we haven't gone? It's evidence in where our country is at today. Our country would not be, be where, where it is today if we had been going the way that we were supposed to be. Christ is the cure for the sin around us. The sin that we see celebrated, the sin that we see lifted up, fought for. There's people that are fighting to sin. They're, they're willing to take it to court. We're not willing to even say anything about it. But they're willing to take it to court. They're willing to take it and fight for years and years and years and finally get constitu- or, excuse me, laws written and changed in order to, to grasp the hold of their sin, in order for them to make their sin legal or whatever it is. That's a whole other topic that we're legalizing sin. That's ridiculous. But um, anyway, that's a whole other thing. But that's the evidence to show you that we haven't been about our Father's business like we're supposed to be. Because, yes, the world is going to get worse. And the Bible says, God, God tells us, he gives us, uh, he gives us um, the book of Revelation. He says it's going to wax worse and worse. Evil men will wax worse and worse. As the days they were in the days of Noah, so shall the days of the Son of Man be. It's not going to get better. But you know what? It's that, that, again, that doesn't res- lessen our responsibility. The freedoms we stand and fight for are the ones that we keep the longest. Because, again, like I said, it's going to keep getting worse and worse. But those ones that we fought for, those ones that people have, have stu- stood up and spoken up for, are the ones that we still have. I, I really believe that the Second Amendment would already have been abolished had we not fought for it starting probably 20, 30 years ago. Is, is when it really kind of started to, to be attacked more and more. I don't think it would be here still, but it is still because there are people that are fighting for it. That's not even an amendment that is going to change anybody's heart. That's not a freedom that we need to, or, excuse me, that, I mean, that is a freedom that we need. But that's not, that's not a spiritual, that's not something spiritual that we need to grasp onto. That, but prayer in school is. Uh, abortion is wrong, and the fact that that's been legalized is, is wrong. And homosexuality and homosexual marriage is wrong, and we're not willing to stand up and speak against those things anymore because it's hate speech, or because they're going to come and throw us in jail for it, or whatever. And we get and we get to a point where I don't want to. Man, if I if I go to jail, who's going to take care of my family? I got the answer for that. God is going to continue to take care of your family just as He's done up to this point. So stand up and be bold. Speak out against sin. Tell people where they're going wrong. That's the only way they're going to know that there is a problem. That's the only way that they're going to know to repent is if we tell them what sin is. And that, that, that's what God does with us. How did you know you needed a Savior? You had to realize that you were a sinner. Then you realize, well, now what do I do about this? And that's how it begins. That's where it's, but we, as Christians, are, are too timid to stand up against sin, to point out the things that are wrong, to point out the lifestyles that are wrong or the decisions that are wrong or so on and so forth. No, we let them celebrate it. 
we, we allow them to continue on, and well, there's not really anything we're gonna do, we can do about it because you know our world's gonna keep getting worse. And we're, we give ourselves the excuse that well, God already told us how bad it's gonna get, so what do we really need to do about it? Well, there's nothing we can do about it, right? Is there anywhere that says once it reaches this point to stop going? Is there any way that where it says to stop preaching about it, to stop preaching against it when it gets to this certain point? No, it's not in there. We're supposed to be about his business until he comes and gets us, until he comes and takes us out of here. So that was the first thing was, was um, what do we need to repent of is, is, our, is our lack of, of going to, uh, to those around us. The other thing was, was what Brother Justin preached about, and I just want to read the, the passage this morning again, or this evening, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And again, I, I like, I enjoy being a part of something that I can see where God has a plan and he has a message and he's speaking, trying to speak to his people and seeing how all these messages lately have tied together and tied into one another is, is pretty, pretty awesome to me. So uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, I'm just going to read it. And like I said, um, listen to Brother, Brother DeGarmo's message this morning. Go back and, and either get a CD or look at it on Facebook or whatever you need to do, but, but listen to it. It says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may, be, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. We've left that behind. Again, we've, we've not taken our prayer life seriously. We've let it slip. We've not taken our intercessory prayer for one another seriously. We've not taken our intercessory prayer for our government seriously. We've let it slip. We've just given up. We've said, well, you know what? It's too bad. It doesn't matter how much praying I do about it. What's it really going to change? Well, okay, if we, had that, if we had that attitude, excuse me, individually, then you're right. We have lost our power. Because as individuals, yes, it starts with an individual effort. But if Brother Justin is praying and Brother Adam is praying, and Pastor Williams is praying, and Jeff Russ is praying, and myself, and Brother Tom Furs, and now there's more voices, and there's more and more and more voices. If every one of us are holding up our end of the things and praying the way that we, our prayer life was, was what it was supposed to be, we would see a change. We would start to be, and not only that, but, but if we're praying for one another the way that we're supposed to be praying for one another, we would have the boldness that is required to go out and stand against these things that we see around us. That's where these men of God got the boldness from to stand up and preach in the face of persecution because they had other people behind them praying for them. They, they were praying for one another. They were praying, and Paul asked specifically, pray that boldness, that utterance may be given to me. He prayed specifically for those things, and he told other people to pray for him in those things. We should be praying for each other in those same things. We should be praying for one another to have boldness. To, to, to be a witness, to be a testimony. And if we're not, again, what does that point us back to? What do we need to do? We need to repent. Because that, again, just like the first thing, is a command. It is a do it. It is a command to pray for one another. It is a command to go out and to spread the gospel. And if we're not doing those things, we don't need to just pass it off and say, okay, I'll start tomorrow. No, you got to go back. You have to go to be front of, in front of God and say, Lord, I've sinned against you. This is something that has hurt our relationship individually, but then our relationship as a body. The sin of not praying for one another, the sin of not going, has hurt our relationship as a body with our Savior. It is, it is robbing us of our effectiveness to the world around us. And again, it's because we don't take it seriously enough. 
we don't understand the severity of our decisions that we make to avoid these things or to, to stop these things. We need to get on board and we need to, to repent. My second point here, see I told you y'all are in trouble. My second point is, the second part of that is to return. Look at uh, Revelation again, chapter 2, verse 5. I'm going to read just half of the verse this time. It says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Well, there was a, there was a point that, they, that God wanted them to return to. There was something that they were doing before that he wanted them to return to doing again. Do the first works. Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 3. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. And thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. They were supposed to be watching. And he said, repent and get back to watching, is what he was talking about there. Uh, look at verse 15 in the same one. He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. What do we need to return to? to we need to return to action. We need to return back to going out and know our community. We need to return back to praying for one another. We need to return back not just to thinking about these things or to understanding our need for these things, but that needs to charge us to or uh, to uh, encourage us to action. We hear a lot of times that uh, you know, as as men are praying in the church, Lord, change us. That is an action. That is an action word. That is not just to change my mind about something or whatever. No, that is a change. A change is something that that requires you to do something. And if these things are things that we're neglecting, okay, we, if, if we see that, we see that, we need, that we've been neglecting these things, we know that we need to repent from them, now we need to return back to them. We need to get back to work. We need to get back to the actions that God has called us to do. Um, we do not stay sharp or focused as soldiers, again, I'm pointing back to pastor study in Ephesians, unless we exercise or use the armor. We don't go back. We have to get back in the fight. We have to be willing to put that armor on. It's inconvenient. It's hot. It's heavy. Some days uh, that sword gets awful heavy to, to drag around because you've, you've got a lot of weight around with you. You've, you've, you've added cares of the world upon you and, and all these things. And, and some days, boy, I just don't really feel like, like standing up this time. I don't feel like that. And we get discouraged and we get... Um, but, but that's, that's where um, the, the Bible said, Lo, I am with you. That's where we need to remember that that armor is not something that he puts on us to burden us. It's something that he puts on us to use. It's something that he puts on us because he wants us to fight for him and, and fight in our community and in our country. Um, to return requires action or movement on our part. If we have neglected our duties and truly repent of those derelictions, then the next step is to get back to work. Um, the third, number three here. So we've got repent. That's one thing. There's, here's one path here. We have repent and return. The next path, what's the other option? What, what's our, okay, if we don't repent and we don't return, what's the other direction that we go to? What, what, what's going to happen then? Because, and God, through his uh, providence, has given us examples all throughout this book of what will happen. So let's look down that road. Look in Revelation again. Just just flip back to verse two, or excuse me, chapter two, verse five. 
He says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, repent, and do the first works. Here's what will happen. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Is that what we want said of our church? Do we want said of our church that God had to come in and remove us from our community because we were just a candle with no flame? We were doing no good in our community. Does God, do we want God to have to come down here and say, well, I'm going to have to break this up because y'all aren't doing what I told you to do. I'm going to have to remove you. I'm going to have to send this person elsewhere and this person over here because individually this person may be on, in good shape and whatever. But, but that's, that's what he's saying. That's, that's the other option. Is that what we want said of our church? Is that God had to come out and to remove our light? To come out and to, to replace us with somebody who would do his work? Is that what we want? Look at verse uh, 16 of chapter 2. It says, Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly. Listen to this. Think of this. Think of what he's saying here. And will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Are we going to be standing in opposition to God and having him fight us? Because that's something that is, is a danger. We're going to sit here and say, Well, God, you can't remove us. You can't take us out of here. We're going to stand up and fight against you. That's something that can happen. You know, uh, um, I believe it was Gamaliel. Was, um, they were, they were um, consorting together, the, the Sanhedrin or the Pharisees were consorting together, trying to get rid of Paul. And Gamaliel steps up and he says, uh, hey, wait a minute, what if we're fighting against God here? Why don't we just let this thing play out and see what happens? That was some pretty wise advice there. Because fighting against God is a futile effort. You're, not, you're never going to win that. But, you know, that's what we're in danger of. If we choose not to repent and we choose not to uh, turn back to God and return, that's what, we're, that's what we're in danger of. We're in danger of, of picking a fight with God. That's not a fight that we want to be in. And I can tell you that much. I've been in that fight. It's not pleasant. And um, look at verse 22 of chapter 2. Another, again, we're looking down this road of what happens if we, if we don't turn back. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Do we want to experience great tribulation? Is that something that sounds pleasant? Is that something that sounds like we may, well, let's try it. You know, we'll just, we look down that road, we see that's what's ahead, but you know what? That's not really strong enough language. Maybe, maybe it's not that big of a deal. Great tribulation doesn't sound like fun to me. It doesn't sound like anything I want to experience, because who's sending that great tribulation? It says, I will cast her into a bed. That's God. That's God sending that great tribulation. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of his wrath. I, and we're not, I know we're not, we're not uh, appointed to wrath. But that doesn't mean that he's not going to send his, put his hand on us and correct us. He's already done it before in the church. When they didn't go in Jerusalem, they didn't go and spread out like they were supposed to. He sent persecution so that they would flee Jerusalem and go out into the world around them. So he's already shown himself that he'll put his hand in the middle of things and cause tribulation and persecution in order for you to get back to what you're supposed to be doing. He's already shown himself that he would do that. Um, and, uh, excuse me, Revelation chapter 3, verse 3 is the last one I'll look at um, for, for this. And then I'm, I'm going to have a little bit of lengthy reading, and hopefully it doesn't bore you because it is the scripture. But it's uh, very uh, um, relevant to what we're talking about here today. Um, the Revelation 3, 3, real quick. It says, remember, thou, or excuse, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, 
and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. How many of us like surprises? How many of us like that pop quiz when we were in school? How many of you guys in the military like those surprise inspections? That was terrible. I hated that. It, it, you get all nervous, and you're like, oh, man, my belt's not shining. I mean, the Marine Corps, we actually had to do some stupid stuff like shining your belt buckles and shoes, and you couldn't have Irish pennants, and you had to go and clip. All, anyway, there was a lot of things in there that was like, this is ridiculous. They were trying to teach you something in attention to detail. But that was that was a thing, especially as a, as a PFC you know, an E2 there, and, and you're like, oh man, the guy's, this, my corporal's going to yell at me because my belt buckle is not shiny enough, or whatever. Those surprise inspections were, were not something pleasant. When God shows up, are we going to be surprised? Is, is that going to be something that we want? Or are we going to be the ones that are, uh, look, think back to the story in Matthew chapter 25 of the ten virgins. There was five of them that were ready. There was five of them that were ready for the bridegroom to show up, and they got to enter in. And they got to they got to attend the uh, the marriage, and there was five of them that weren't ready, and they had to go out and find something real quick. And then they came back, and God said, or the the bridegroom said, "Go away, the door's locked, it's shut, it's too late." God's going to return. Is He going to catch us sleeping? Is He going to catch us in the middle of something we're not supposed to be doing? Is He going to catch us in the middle of our lackadaisical Christianity? of our not willing to be inconvenienced for him, not willing to identify with him? Is that how he's going to catch us? Because he's coming back. He said he's going to. It's a promise. He's coming back. He still, but he's, he's never, again, he's never lessened our responsibility. He's never said, well, when you know I'm getting ready to come, then you can stop. Oh, he says, do until I get there, right? Um, now, I want to, again, this is a couple of a little bit lengthy passages, but it's very relevant. Um, Jeremiah chapter 2. Now, I know this is Old Testament, right? And this is speaking of Israel. And uh, I I called the pastor earlier and I I asked him um, about this. And I don't want to get into a whole argument about replacement theology and so on and so forth. But uh, um, there's a book called Who is Israel that I believe is a very good book. And you can draw a lot of correlations to Israel back then into the church nowadays and how how the Lord dealt with them then is how he's going to deal with us now and uh, so I wanted to turn back to Jeremiah chapter 2 and again this is going to be a couple of little lengthy passages but I'm going to let God speak now and just listen listen to what to what he told his people he's telling us the same thing we are his people and he's speaking to us the same way Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 1 Starting in verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the firstfruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend, evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and are become vain? Neither said they, Where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through, and where no man dwelt? And I brought you into a plentiful country, to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land, and made mine heritage an abomination." 
The priest said not, Where is the Lord? And they that handle the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal, and walked after things that do not profit. Wherefore I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and I will plead with your children, excuse me, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. For pass over the isles of Chittim, and see, and send unto Kedar, and consider diligently, and see if there be such a thing. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Now go to chapter 4, real quickly, Jeremiah chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 8 now. If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me. And if thou wilt put away thine abominations out of my sight, then shalt thou not remove. And thou shalt swear, the Lord liveth in truth and judgment and in righteousness. And the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, and take away the foreskins of your heart. Ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Declare ye in Judah and publish in Jerusalem and say, Blow ye the trumpet in the land. Cry, gather together and say, Assemble yourselves and let us go into the defense cities. Set up the standard toward Zion. Retire, stay not. For I will bring evil from the north and a great destruction. The lion has come up from his thicket and the destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way. He has gone forth from his place to make thy land desolate, and thy cities shall be laid waste without inhabitant. For this gird you with sackcloth, lament, and howl, for the fierce anger of the Lord is not turned back from us. And the final passage I wanted to read is in Jeremiah chapter 5 now. We're going to start in verse 10. Excuse me. Jeremiah 5, 10. Go ye up upon her walls and destroy, but make not a full end. Take away her battlements, for they are not the Lord's. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt very treacherously against me, saith the Lord. They have belied the Lord and said, It is not he, neither shall evil come upon us, neither shall we see sword nor famine. And the prophets shall become wind, and the word is not in them. Thus shall it be done unto them. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, because ye speak this word, behold, I will make my words in thy mouth fire, and this people would, and it shall devour them. Lo, I will bring a nation upon you from far, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. It is a mighty nation, it is an ancient nation, a nation whose language thou knowest not, neither understandest what they say. Their quiver is an open sepulchre, and they are all mighty men. They shall eat up thine harvest and thy bread, which thy sons and thy daughters should eat. They shall eat up thy flocks and thine herds. They shall eat up thy vines and thy fig trees. They shall impoverish thy fenced cities, wherein thou trustest with the sword. Nevertheless, in those days, saith the Lord, I will not make a full end with you. It shall come to pass, when ye shall say, Wherefore doth the Lord our God, excuse me, wherefore doeth the Lord our God all these things unto us? Then thou shalt answer them, Like as ye have forsaken me, and serve strange gods in your land, so shall ye serve strangers in a land that is not yours. Declare this in the house of Jacob, and publish it in Judah, saying, 
Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. Listen to this verse. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree, that it cannot pass, that it cannot pass it? And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot pass over it. But this people hath a revolting and rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. Neither say they in their heart, Let us now fear the Lord our God, that giveth rain, both the former and the latter, in his season. He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of harvest. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sin have withholden good things from you. That's a pretty serious, those are pretty serious things that God is saying there that he was going to do to his people. What makes us think as his people, because we, you know, we call ourselves Christians, we call ourselves his people, what makes us think that we're any different than them? That he won't do the same things to us as he's done to them in the past. He's calling us to do something. He's calling us to repent, to return, to, to go back to our first works. That's what he's calling us to do. Well, we aren't that bad, right? We're not sacrificing our children in, you know, in fires, and we're not you know, doing all of those things, right? We're not that bad. Well, think about this. How much sin is acceptable to the one who sent his only son to die for what he, what he had not done? What sin is acceptable to God? Which one is he okay with? Is he okay with not going? Is he okay with the disobedience of not going, of not praying, of not doing what he's left us here to do? Which, which one is he okay with? He's not okay with any of them. He sent his son to die for all of them. That's how serious it was. It's up to us. Is there hope? Yes, there's absolutely is hope. Go to Revelation chapter thirteen or chapter three, excuse me. Revelation chapter three, and this is the this is my last thing here. There is hope. God give us a promise. If we do repent, there's going to be something that happens. This is the church of Laodicea. This is his final address to the churches, the last part of his final address to the churches. He says in chapter 3, verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now I'm going to tell you what. There is a command there to be zealous and to repent. And, and, but you know what? He says, as many as I love. He loves us. He loves his church. He loves his church so much that he died for it. He, he loves us so much that he was willing to, to, to put aside glory, to put aside heaven for us. Um, but it says he calls us to repent. And, and here's what it is. Here's what will happen if we repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, okay, let me think about this for a minute. That's hearing his voice and, and opening the door is repentance and returning, right? Let's, let's put it in that kind of thing because it's an action. You have to open the door, right? You have to hear his voice, understand he's speaking to you, and then open the door to him, right? So let's see what he does. If any man will hear my voice and will open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. That's the promise that we get. If we do repent and we do turn back to him, and we do fight and we do the things that he's called us to do, he's, he's going to come have dinner with us. He's going to come in, and we're going we're to be able to take part of something that we have no business taking part in. We have no business taking part in the glory of the throne of God. But he's promised that to us Amen. if we're faithful to what he's called us to do. And we need to be faithful. We need to turn back to those things. We need to repent, again, of our lackadaisical Christianity. We need to repent of those things that have so stifled our church. Our, and I say, again, I'm not speaking specifically of our church, maybe, but maybe I am. 
those things that have, that have, that have throttled our voice, the things that have made us not if, as effective as we used to be in our community, we need to repent of those things and turn back to him. Um, that's it. Let's, uh, I want to go ahead and have an altar call. If you can get a musician, please, to come up.